Uh, Max Verstappen once again, too good over in Monza, the Italian Grand Prix overnight. And Max Verstappen, a record-breaking 10th straight F1 win. Joining us down the line this afternoon to break it all down is FIA, accredited journalist and host of the F1 Strategy Report, Michael Laminato. Michael, good day. Hello, mate. Good to be here. Glad to have you here with us. Um, what more can we say about Max Verstappen? 10 straight F1 wins. What an achievement it is. Yeah, we're running out of superlatives alarmingly early, considering we've still got another eight races to go. So it is going to be a difficult one to make it through to the end of the year, continuing to describe the way Max Verstappen wins. But it is completely unprecedented. Ten wins in a row. Uh, this is now... 15 in a row for Red Bull Racing as well, dating back to the end of last year's season in Abu Dhabi. That's also completely unprecedented in the sport. And, I mean, we can divide a couple of things from this result. One is that at a track that, well, should have been on the weaker side for Red Bull. There are no truly weak tracks for this car, dare I say. Still won pretty easily, certainly with Max. And even Sergio Perez recovered from fifth on the grid up to second in a car that was a little bit ropey considering he had an oil leak and all sorts of things before qualifying. They had it pretty straightforward. This is kind of beginning to put pay to the idea that the other teams will catch up by the end of the year because Red Bull is affected by cost cap restrictions and things like that. That's clearly not happening. All teams are now fully focused on next year when they hope they can make that bigger jump. Mm. And the other is that Max is obviously and this is not a surprise, but completely undeterred by any challenge. He wants to win them all. He's not content to now grind out the championship victory and cruise home. He wants to dominate. And he's right when he says as well, this is rare. You know, it's rare that you have a team as absolutely dominant as Red Bull that has the potential to win every race this year. He's intent on enjoying that while he can because no one expects exactly the same thing next year. And maybe even if next year is more competitive, this might be... You know, in a weird situation, the end of Max Verstappen's championship run, that's pretty unlikely. But for the moment, he's soaking it in, and so he should, because no one's ever been this good before. So at this point in his career, where do you put Max amongst the all-time greats? And also this run for Red Bull, where where does this run rank for the all-time constructors? Yeah, so for Max, he's definitely now got to be in the conversation for greatest, among the greatest of all time. I don't know if he can probably too early to put him in that absolute conversation that's really between Michael Schumacher and Lewis Hamilton, partly because while we're talking about Max winning 10 in a row, the sustained levels of domination those two drivers were able to achieve is on another level. And also, I think particularly in Michael Schumacher's case, really changed the game in Formula 1, brought it to a new level of professionalism in a way that very few drivers have been able to change the game. So I'm not sure Max is quite there yet, but in terms of his pure ability rather than maybe his overall impact on the sport. He's definitely in that, let's just say, top five or thereabouts, or he's got to be in that conversation because it's, as always in Formula 1, okay, he's got the car, but you've got to compare him to his teammates. Sergio Perez is a Grand Prix winner. He's capable of pretty great feats in the car, and he's a Grand Prix winner before he got to Red Bull, mind you. He's a Grand Prix winner in a midfield car, so he is no slouch, and he's been absolutely smashed around the place. That's the only thing you can really compare Max Verstappen to, plus the battles he has on track, as rare as they might have been this year. He deserves to to be somewhere in that top conversation, but I also don't expect him to stop here. He's got many championships left in him, and I think by the time he gets to the end of the career, this conversation will be moved on a little bit. And as for Red Bull, well, I mean, the the only way you can really analyse teams is runs like this. No one's ever done this. They're not all-time championship uh, winners because they haven't been around as long as Ferrari and so on, but 
you look at their history in the sport, they have, well, I wrote this up a, a month or two ago, I wish I'd revisited this before this, but they have one of the, <laughs> the strongest winning records of any constructor when you account for the amount of time they've been in there. So despite not being a car manufacturer, which has often been the way we like to think about the best teams in Formula 1, there's no doubt Red Bull is, is raising the bar in terms of what it takes to be a success in Formula 1. They are one of the greatest teams of all time. Speaking to Michael Laminato here on Sports Drive this afternoon. Hey, Michael Ferrari, they had a good outing, probably their best in, in quite some time over the weekend. Carlos signs on the podium and uh, Charles Leclerc in fourth. They needed that too, not only because it was at home, where at least the Italian home fans went home relatively happy to have been able to cheer on, not a while, pole position, they were very happy on Saturday night, but at least one of their cars on the podium. But it was a clean race, and it was a strong race free of mistakes and errors. Carlos Sainz really did the maximum, got the maximum out of that car, defending the faster Max Verstappen. I mean, when Verstappen got past, it was around halfway around the lap, more or less. By the end of that half lap, he was a second up the road. So you can see how much faster that car was. And it was at the limit. The lockup that, that opened the door was just a sign of how hard he was pushing that car. And we've got a great battle between him and Charles Leclerc towards the end of the race, his teammate. And really great for Ferrari to have faith in their drivers to be able to do that cleanly. And a couple of times got very close to not being clean, but they were racing fairly. It was more just that they were racing extremely hard. So as a result... Ferrari does leave Italy, despite not winning with their heads held pretty high. They've said now that they're not even really thinking about this year anymore. While they want to learn more about the problems with this car, they're starting with a completely blank slate for next year, completely new car, and that's the focus for now. Uh, but until then, they still need to, of course, prove that they can execute strongly like they did this weekend, because as we remember from last year, many wasted opportunities. That's the thing they've got to iron out with what's left of this season, because if they do turn up with a competitive car next year that will again be the test to prove they can make the most of it. So a timely opportunity for them to start to build on that. They'll need to do that more than once, of course, before the end of the year, before we can say they've learned anything. But a really good op- a really good moment for them to pull that one out. Okay, let's take a look at our Australian, Oscar Piastri, in the McLaren. He finished in 12th position. What did you make of his race? Overall, this was a pretty good weekend for Oscar. It started a little bit scrappy, but really came good in time for qualifying. Our qualified teammate, Lando Norris, I think that's only off the top of my head around the fifth time this year he's done that, and had a pretty good race from there. A lot of things out of his control, though, undid that, and many didn't even score points, as you said. Uh, One was that McLaren undercut Lando Norris ahead of him. Now, the team says this was incidental because they were protecting Lando Norris from Fernando Alonso behind him. I've looked only briefly at the numbers, but that seemed pretty jumpy to me. I'm not saying there's anything untoward there because teams don't really do that kind of thing. But I think Oscar can feel a little bit aggrieved that they didn't still give him preference with the pit stop as the lead driver. But the thing that really killed his race, that really only cost him one position, was when Lewis Hamilton came past, tried to pass him, crashed into him. Absolutely not Oscar's fault. And Lewis said afterwards, completely his fault. He got a penalty for that as well. Didn't make any difference to his race. Made a massive difference to Oscar's because he needed a new front wing. And that dropped him out of the point. Subsequently, got a penalty battling with Liam Lawson. Uh, I don't think TV cameras gave that too much attention, but it was just maybe a little bit of frustration. But it was also the kind of mistakes we saw a lot of drivers make there because you get a little bit of frustration when you can't pass the car a little bit slower than you. So the culmination was a little bit of a disappointing day, but the pace was definitely there. The overall level of performance was as high as we've come to expect but just very frustrating the circumstances in which he walks away with no points and now starts a, a part of the year again at tracks he's not as familiar with. You know, this is the end of the European season where he's raced a lot out in the junior categories. 
now we're turning up to a lot of tracks he's going to have to learn in a Formula One car and, and for the first time virtually all of them. So it's going to become... It's going to be very interesting to see how he goes. He's got more confidence than he did at the start of the year, but there will be a steeper learning curve. So it'll be fascinating to see how he does, but I expect it to be a little bit more challenging than the really great runner form we've seen in the last month or two. You mentioned Liam Lawson in the Alpha Tauri. How do you think he has gone over the past couple of races, and what's the latest on Daniel Ricciardo? Well, the latest of Daniel Ricciardo, let's start there, still injured, is not, almost certainly not coming back for Singapore. Christian Horner said that's, that's just way too early. That's in two weeks. It's now unlikely he's going to come back for Japan the week later, which I think we were talking last week was probably always going to be unlikely, a little mm-hmm. bit ambitious. I mean, it's only one week after Singapore, and you're, it's only five days between getting in the car. Qatar at the start of October, on the 8th of October, so about a month from now, is probably his firm return date. That's a good, what is that, six-ish weeks since he injured his hand. That's sort of what we were talking about as sort of a best-case scenario. So I think that's, that's shaping up as the most likely situation, which will give him six races through to the end of the year to sort of make a bit of an impact and justify retention for next year. And there will be some justifying to do because Liam Lawson had a great race in Italy. He didn't score points, but so was only around six seconds die of scoring points, didn't have teammate Yuki Sonoda in the race to compare to, so a little bit hard to say whether or not the car absolutely should have scored them, but considering he qualified less than two-tenths of a second behind Sonoda in 11th and 12th, and he finished 11th, we could probably say that's roughly what the car was capable of. Had a couple of great battles, again, built really nicely into the weekend, just does not look overawed by any of this. Really seems like he belongs there. And suddenly this random cameo in Formula 1 has really complicated the driver market a little bit because with every race, and he's going to have another two, so these will be interesting because likewise for Oscar, these will be a track he, he doesn't know as well. Or Singapore anyway, actually. He's raced at Suzuka this year, racing in Japan. He's got a really good opportunity to say, as a young guy coming up, he deserves a Formula 1 seat. Suddenly you've got three drivers in Alpha Tauri trying to get into two seats, Yes, there's a seat at Williams that potentially is up for grabs because Logan Sargent hasn't really fired yet, but really complicated things. It's really going to be a fascinating end to the year in terms of the driver market with a good few opportunities for Liam and Daniel, and then, of course, Yuki Sonoda with the whole season under his belt. All right, well, plenty happening in Formula One right now. Max Verstappen, still too good. Can anyone beat this man? It seems pretty unlikely. A lot to look forward to. In F1, Singapore coming up in two weeks' time. Hey, Michael, before I let you go, anything else that we should make mention of to come out of the weekend? Well, Lewis Hamilton re-signed for Mercedes this week, so it's ended any speculation that he might be considering switching teams, which is always unlikely, or potentially retiring. And he says not only is it that he's, he's doing this because he's got unfinished business, the unfinished business being the eighth championship he didn't win in 2021, circumstances we don't need to go back into, but also that he has complete faith that the Mercedes team is the one that can get him there. He's confident that Mercedes can return to winning contention in the next couple of years. The team also confirmed George Russell for the next two years, although we suspect that he already had a contract under his belt anyway. That brings some certainty to Mercedes' attempts to rebuild and kind of reframes a little bit Formula One. We're seeing drivers, well, much older in the sport at the moment. Fernando Alonso is a great example I guess this is a broader conversation about sports medicine and science uh, extending the longevity of drivers in extreme sports like this. But suddenly, for a guy who used to say he was no chance he was ever going to be racing late into his 30s, he's talking not only about now racing into his 40s, but potentially signing another contract after this. 
take him almost into his mid-40s. So how long Lewis Hamilton stays around now for is an interesting question. And, I mean, when he's performing as well as he still is, uh, how that shapes the sport and for its next generations of drivers is really interesting. Something we hadn't thought about before, but, I mean, these are... This is a question used in the future now to see how he goes. But certainly we all expect and, and hope that he does have a chance to contend for another title because we all want to see a rematch of Lewis and Max. And, hey, why not? The Ferrari drivers and Oscar Piastri as well, if we can get them all in there. Michael, great chatting as always. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Wade. Anytime. Thank you. There he goes. Michael Laminato, FIA accredited journalist and host of the F1 Strategy Report here on Sports Drive this afternoon.